Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another cracking episode of Investing in the US. I'm your host, as always, Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us here on the show. Now, I am super excited to be bringing you these next two episodes because you know what? It is our fifth anniversary here at Investing in the US. We are five years old, and five years means 250 episodes. Just let that sink in there for a second. 250 episodes. I started this podcast way back in the day in 2015 when probably only my grandmother and my mum were listening to the show. And now we've grown this podcast to have some incredible guests and we've grown the audience and the listenership across the world. And it's all thanks to you guys. And so these next two episodes are really a walk back through time. A look back at the top 10 episodes that I think have been the best that I've been able to give you in terms of the content, in terms of the guests who've come on here, and in terms of what they've been able to give you in inspiration so you can go out and be successful in your business. Now, before we dive into these top 10 episodes, I want to remind you, you can follow me on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. And also, if you want to give back to this show, the easiest way of giving back is by jumping over onto iTunes and giving the show a five-star review because we have been going for five years. And without that support, without, without those five stars, we don't know if you guys are loving this show or not. So we really appreciate any support you get. And if you are interested in investing with me alongside me at Wildhorn Capital, head over to my my website at reedgoosens.com. Sign up for our newsletter. Sign up to be notified about all the cracking deals we're coming to market here in 2021. And with that being said, let's get into the top 10 episodes of investing in the US over the past five years. I hope you enjoy. So back in 2018, I recorded one of my favorite episodes with a gentleman by the name of David Osborne. This is episode 101. And in that episode, we talked to David and David is his story about growing to the fifth largest residential real estate brokerage firm in the United States with Keller Williams in Central Texas. Incredible story of what he's built at his company. And we also dive deep into how he's built ecosystems around different forms of income streams and how when building an ecosystem of businesses, each income stream feeds off one of the next. And that is how you create long-term wealth. We also talk about how goal setting is extremely important to being successful. So I hope you enjoy this rewind with David Osborne. I was not a great student in school and, you know, I was always just good at working, man. I like to work. I, I wasn't even a great athlete. I was just an average athlete. I wish I could say I was better. Um, wasn't the smallest kid, but I wasn't the biggest kid. I was just always kind of average at everything, but it used to kind of tick me off that I was that way. And I always felt like I should be better, but I really wasn't. But I think that little fire inside, I just kept that burning my whole life. And that's really why, like I bloomed late in life. Like I really didn't find my stride till my thirties. But because, because, but I guess because I had so much momentum behind it, I've just kept going. I'm still doing a lot of stuff to this day. I, in fact, uh, so uh, in answer to your question, I, I got, I started my own lawn mowing business when I was in high school, and then I went on into door-to-door sales, direct sales, 
and kind of went from one thing to another. And then my mom joined real estate. My dad retired from the military and my mom got in real estate when I was 14. And I really never saw her again. She went, she became a realtor and she would go to work at 5:30 and leave at 10. She became the top realtor 10 PM. That is not 5:30 to 10 in the morning. And she would became the top realtor in this startup company called Keller Williams. She was like agent number five today. There's 170,000 Keller Williams agents. So I joined her a few years later, like, uh, let's see, that would have been when I was 14. So when I was about 25, so maybe 10, 10, 10 years later, maybe 12 years later. And uh, I got in it and I sold real estate for three years, did really well. But after about the third year, I was like, man, this, there's got to be more to life than this. Well, it just so happened that Keller Williams was expanding. They were looking for people to go open offices. At that time, we probably were maybe a few thousand people. And so I just put my hand up and said, hey, I want to do some more. And I got sent off to Dallas. And, and really, the success I've had in real estate has been more a factor of me putting my head down and driving really hard, looking for more, being aggressive. But I can't say, you know, there's a saying I love. It's OK to be number two. Everybody wants to be number one. Right. But if you're number two, like Gary Keller, the founder of the company, he's number one in the real estate space I'm in. And he's going to be worth like probably five to 10 billion by the time he dies. It's not bad to be number two to a guy worth five or 10 billion, you know? <laughs> right. Um, I've got, you know, I've got a, a airplane I used to fly around in, but it's just a twin prop, right? So it's a King Air. The guys I know have like, you know, some guys I know have jets, but it's not bad to have a twin prop. Let right. me tell you, I may be number two to those guys, but it's not bad. There's, you know, so being number two isn't the worst thing in the world. Of course, we all would like to pound our chest and be the number one dog, but it's it's really just fine to do really, really well and follow a star. And I think I've made a career of that. I've always looked for the smartest guys that I could sort of be around and 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 honor and cherish those guys, just like that kid serving drinks to the to the ambassadors, you know, of the other countries. If I find a guy I think I can learn from, man, I'm going to send him books. I'm going to pay attention to him. I'm going to try to be of service to those people. And, and I found that always works if you find the right guys because they appreciate you. I'm not being a total suck up and a total brown noser. But what I'm saying is I respect you. I honor you. I know your time is valuable. And if you're going to teach me something, I'm going to buy you a bottle of wine or I'm going to send you a handwritten card after we met. And then I tend to reach out to successful people and say, hey, what would it take for you to, you know, what would I have to do to earn lunch with you? So I would email, you know, technically a guy like, say, Michael Bloomberg or Warren Buffett. And I would say in my email, Hey, what would it take for me to earn the right to have a coffee with you just to sit down for 15 or 20 minutes? And some guys blow you off, but some guys give you that time. And my experience is when you're around guys that are up to big things, it becomes almost second nature for you to be up to big things. So that's, you know, I've kind of clawed my way up by uh, just always finding another role model and another example to emulate as I, as I get better at everything I do. Next up, we have Keith Wasserman, and I recorded an interview with Keith Wasserman back in 2018, episode 127. And if you don't know who Keith is, he's a pretty remarkable guy. He is in his mid-30s, and he has built a real estate company worth over a billion dollars. So a billion dollars of real estate under management at his company at Gelt, G-E-L-T. Really incredible story about how he's gone from nothing to build it so quickly over the last 15 years and at such a young age as well. So I really encourage you guys to go listen back to the entire episode, but now we're just going to give you the snippet or the best things from that episode. Hope you enjoy. The hardest part is getting started. Um, try to find a we call them the gray hair, you know, someone that has the experience, um, a mentor, someone to partner with that believes in you and you could bring the youth and energy and, um, 
you know, this is for the, the younger folk out there. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think because we didn't have the experience, but we had that youth and energy and new ideas. And, you know, um, we partnered with, with the gray hairs and that really helped us with our growth. Um, and then uh, I'd say another thing is that this, this business is not for everyone. Uh, you could be happy, you know, if you're happy with your job and making good money, it's good to invest with a group like ours or yourself to, to really diversify. And, and it's just really passive. The investors get quarterly distributions and, you know, majority of the upside. And then it, it's just a great way to diversify and, you know, put a few bucks in a lot of the deals rather than owning one little small building yourself or two small buildings or whatever. So um, I'd say getting started is the hardest part, but the most important and, you know, make, try to make sure that first deal is a successful one. Um, we, we have had one of our fourplexes, uh, like I think we sold at a loss and then we came out of our own pocket and paid that investor back, uh, just to make them whole. So reputation's extremely important and we, we want to say we've never lost anyone money and we haven't lost anyone money. So great. That's, that's, a, that's, important that's, one. A, that's a fantastic piece of advice, uh, for anyone out there listening who is wanting to get involved. And, and I know Keith will get your, uh, your, your contact details at the end of the show, but mate, uh, I do like to ask my guests to give me the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Let's do it. Mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Daily habit, I'd say I, I usually, um, when I get in, I walk around the office and just talk to everyone, see what everyone's up to, uh, make sure we're advancing the ball down the field and making progress. Um, I also have a task list with the most pressing important ones at the top. And um, I review that every day. And then just getting back to people in a timely manner, um, you know, and um, I'd say just to continue to grow our business. I really started, when I started, we were doing everything. Now we're compartmentalized. I'm really focused on being the chairman and really seeing the, you know, the, the, the vision and direction our company's going and overseeing, you know, the, the personnel and um, not fo as focused on the individual acquisitions or, you know, just really big picture thinking. And I, we have a great team that could implement our strategy. That's, that's, I think that's incredible. Do you use any particular, are you a note taker or you're a digital type of guy that takes uh, to-do lists down? All digital to-do lists. Um, we use Slack in the office. So we have around uh, 18, 19 employees. We're all on Slack communicating with each other, which is great. Um, for our investors, we use IMS, which has uh, been great for reporting to all the investors and it's all brought us online and reduced the amount of time that the um, our accountants used to cut you know, a thousand checks a quarter. Now it's very few people are in check. It's all ACH and much right. easier for them. And they could get, the investors could get their K1s and all the reports online. And so that's been really integral. And yeah, we're always looking at new technologies to implement. And stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Who's been the uh, most influential person in your career to date? Most influential, I'd say it's a tie between my dad and my wife, I'd say. So without my dad, I wouldn't, um, have that entrepreneurial spirit and fire and without his support, I wouldn't be able to get to where I was because as a 24 year old, when I started, I didn't have the financial statement to get on these loans and he really believed in me. He put a few bucks in our early deals and just helped us grow with his network and his resources. And, and you know, I love him for that. And he's been always a role model a mentor. And then my wife, because um, she's pushed me ever since day one, when I met her, I had, one fourplex or not even maybe. <laughs> and, you know, she has always pushed me to be a better person and to really, you know, help, help me on some of these big decisions. I, I talk through things with her and stuff. And 
Um, and then also my, my cousin and business partner, Damien, has been make, made some great decisions along the path. And his father also helped us really learn how to handle all the construction on the projects and oversee the different capital you know, projects. So uh, it's been a lot of people. Next up, we have Glenn Carlson, and Glenn was recorded on the show back in episode 150 in 2019. Now, Glenn, I've got a bit of a man crush on Glenn, to be honest. He's a great guy, a super pumped guy who always brings an incredible amount of knowledge. He is the co-founder of a company called Dent Global, which is a company that helps provides an accelerator platform and program for entrepreneurs who want to scale up their business through building a personal brand. And he is all about the power of personal brands and how that helps you recession-proof your business so you can be more successful in the future. Definitely encourage you to go and give him a listen back at 150. But in this little snippet, we've taken out the best part from that episode. So I hope you enjoy. you don't have to be a key person of influence. If you can come up with like, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg didn't have to become a key person of influence to launch Facebook um, because he was smart enough to be able to come up with a billion dollar algorithm. You know, the Google boys, same deal, the Uber boys, same deal. So if you, if you have the ability to code some artificial intelligent al- algorithm that's going to help, you know, navigate the spaceship to Mars, um, and, uh, you know, Elon's happy to pay you a billion dollars for that. You, you don't have to be, um, in my experience though, if you're not somehow creating something that is truly unique as in like an AI algorithm that's never been created before, if you're a real estate agent, um, if you're a lawyer, if you own an engineering firm, um, there are alternatives to you. Um, the moment you're in a world where there are alternatives to you, um, it doesn't become a game of, well, you're the only one that can navigate me to Mars, so I'm going to work with you. It becomes, okay, well, who am I now going to choose? So the moment you're not, you're in that world of, okay, my prospects have options. The moment you're in that world, you are then pretty much in a hyper-competitive world because it's not just people competing locally. If you're an accountant, for example, you're now competing with platforms like Xero and you're competing with accountants in India um, that have double PhDs in Australian tax law or US tax law or you know whatever it is, right? So um, you're not just under competitive threat with local experts, you're under competitive threat with international experts and you're under competitive threat with technology, machine learning, artificial intelligence and what that's going to do over the next... 15 years. Um, and it's kind of like there's two big magnets in the economy There's a, a, that the technology is, is driving. Um, one of them is the $50 a day magnet and one of them is the $5,000 a day magnet. And the $50 a day magnet is basically technology is replacing low-level work to mean you're going to struggle to make $50 a day, which in the developed world for most people is shit because it's replacing their jobs. And if you're a taxi driver or an Uber driver making, you know, 20 to 50 bucks an hour, well, you know, the moment automation comes, you're in trouble. Um, however, the 50 buck an hour is great if you're working in a developing country making $5 an hour and that the help te- technology is going to give you access to a global market. Um, the other side of that coin is the $5,000 a day is that if you are showing up in a way that can't be replaced by technology, which is not the worker or the white collar person pushing stuff around, 
uh, like a knowledge worker, but you're actually the thought leader. You are positioned in a way where people go, that's the person. Um, that is something that, that technology will struggle to replace in anywhere near the, the, the sort of the short term. So we see because there are these two big forces of technology playing in the market um, and there are these three brands, there's a product brand, there's a company brand and a personal brand. In small business, people don't buy products or company brands or logos or taglines. They buy from people. Um, in the same way, people don't work for those logos either. They work for the people. Um, and so the biggest thing we discover is that the moment someone, the founder connects the dots to go the fastest way for me to cut through this highly competitive noise, the fastest way for me to rarefy myself um, and decommoditize our business is not by trying to necessarily have a more innovative product or service. Because how do you have a more innovative, innovative product or service if you're a real estate agent or an accountant or a lawyer? It's like, you know, deal with my tax. But you can have a disruptive, innovative brand positioning method philosophy cut through that makes the majority of that market go, whoa, I'd never thought about it like that before. Now I'm going to work with you. And what essentially happens is because you've won the war of ideas, of philosophy, before even talking about your product or service, which is what thought leaders tend to do, um, the competition becomes irrelevant. Uh, and, and so the moment we saw that and recognized that and the moment people recognize that, well, then it's like, okay, what does it take to do that? It doesn't take much. At a, it, people are often thinking, well, I'm not a thought leader. Uh, but the big insight that I had, cause that was my fear, right? I, um, I met, uh, Tim Ferriss in London at his first book launch and there was 20 people there at the book launch. I'm like, Tim, mate, like. We literally launched a local guy here, Mike Harris's book, and put him in front of two and a half thousand people. Like, we should do some work. And he's like, you know what, dude, I'm just having like lots of fun. Next up, we have MC Laubscher. And MC, I recorded an interview with him back in 2019, episode 149. And MC is another expat who's here crushing it here in the United States. He's come here with not a lot, and he started something from nothing, very similar to myself. And he started a really successful podcast called The Cashflow Ninja. I've been on that show a couple of times. He's been on this show a couple of times. But in this episode that we recorded back in 2019, we talk about the benefits of really learning how to fail as an investor and why newbies fail early on in their career. And we talk about how you go up setting yourself up for success so you don't have those same hurdles or pitfalls as some newbie investors do when they get started out. So I hope you enjoy. Yeah, we could ramble on about the wrong data, edge financial education. You know, we could go on about so many different things of why people fail. But there's one thing that's really at the core of everything that I see over and over and over, and that's that they don't have a strategy. And, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, best-selling author, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, your, your listeners are probably very well familiar with him. He talks about it all the time about that real estate is just an asset. You know, um, insurance is just a vehicle. You know, commodities is commodity. Gold and silver is gold and silver. Oil and gas is oil and gas. All these things are just vehicles. So how is it that 
you know, you have a lot of folks just knocking it out of the park, just, mm -hmm. you know, eating meat pies, you know, <laughs> Basically, <laughs> ordering meat pies rather. Mess that one up. Um, but why is it that some of the folks are just knocking it out of the park and other, other people are losing everything, right? Here's a great example. Um, and this is probably within the last, I, I don't know, 12, 13 months, but like that whole crypto mania that was going on, this was towards the end of, I think, 2017, maybe. Um, so how is it that there's some people still today looking at buying islands in the Caribbean, and then there's some folks that lost everything? They mortgaged their house. I mean, they completely destroyed them, right? And the whole thing comes down to strategy because they don't know. Uh, they, first of all, they don't know what they have and why they have it. And they don't know what to do and why they're doing it. You know, that's, that's kind of a strategy. It's like, listen, why are, why, why are you in real estate? What, do you, what particular real estate are you in? How are you, and why, how are you investing in, real, that, in a certain way? And why are you doing that? I don't think anybody, you know, anybody asks themselves that question because I don't think anyone would be in uh, mutual funds in a 401k if they stopped for a second and said, okay, what do I own and why do I own it? You know, that would be the first one. And the second part would be, you know, what am I doing? Do I just hand my money over to some, someone else? Uh, or am I actually doing something and why am I doing it? So that would be the first thing. But I think a strategy is like, that, that's the centerpiece of everything. Here's, a, here's another analogy. I, I, I love using these. I sometimes butcher them, but I, <laughs> I keep trying. Oh, same here, same here, mate. Yeah, so... <laughs> Being from South Africa, I'm a horrible golfer, but I love watching golf. And one of my favorite golfers Retief. ever, is, well, Retief is great, Ern, and Ernie. Ernie is, you know, uh, Ernie is one of those guys that he's just, uh, yeah, I just love watching Ernie hit a golf ball. Ernie's got a phenomenal swing. You know, they call him the big easy because of that nice golf swing that he has. Now, if someone came to me and said, MC, I, I know you're a horrible golfer, but, you know, give, give Augusta a crack, would you? Um, you could either take Ernie's clubs or his swing. Which ones are you going to take? Well, of course, I'm going to take Ernie's swing, right? But I think the majority of folks are focusing on the golf clubs. And I think that's the difference between product focused and being strategy focused. And all of the marketing, we just had a, con a conversation about marketing. All of the marketing by media outlets and media that people are consumed is very product focused and not strategy buy this mutual fund. Why? I, I don't know. I mean, mm. it's just, again, it's good. Uh, just, yeah, it's, trust me. It's good. It's good. <laughs> buy this, flip this house. Why? Right. What's, what's the strategy? Where does it fit in? Is that is wholesaling providing liquidity so I can invest in multifamily and then eventually syndicate and, you know, have my targets with, with doors and, you know, um, money under manage all that kind of stuff. Right. It's all part of the strategy. There's a bigger picture and everything is connected. And I think, um, sticking to that, the, the strategy, a holistic strategy, because, you know, this is the beginning of the, the, the new year, as you just mentioned. We know in health, listen, you, you have to work out, you have to eat properly, you have to recover and rest and sleep, and you have to hydrate, right? Take care, take care of your body. And everybody probably listening to this is going, well, duh, thank, yeah, thank you for that piece of advice. We know it's all connected and tied together, but when it comes to our wealth and wealth creation and our money, we have everything in different buckets and it's completely not together, which it should be. So you can craft and craft them all together from a strategy, whether it be taxes, 
yeah, I can make a lot of money. We consult, we consult with clients. They're knocking it out of the park, making a lot of money in their businesses, but they're overpaying so much for taxes. I mean, I'm talking very high, uh, very high six, seven figures in taxes. So if you, uh, at that stage, if you, um, if you can reduce your taxes, for example, by 20%, if somebody's paying almost a million dollars in taxes, do you think a 20% savings in taxes is gonna move the needle for that guy? Absolutely, so it's all connected. And last up in the top five investing in the US podcast episodes, we are talking about Mr. Christopher Kai. And I recorded an interview with him actually quite recently, episode 232. And we talk about big game hunting and how he uses a powerful pitching protocol to go out and attract A-less celebrities, billionaires, leaders of countries to invest in your business and help you grow your business through interacting with high rollers in and around society. It's a really incredible episode. He has written the book, Big Game Hunting, How to Attract Billionaires, CEOs, and Influential Leaders Across the Globe Through an Effective Pitch. So really, really powerful episode. I do highly encourage you to go back and listen to the entire thing, episode 232. But now we're just going to take the best snippet, and I hope you enjoy it. It's what I call a three-second rule. If you have to think more than three seconds, you're already done. That's this kills <laughs> dreams. So when I met Elon Musk, literally, he, he walks outside the Montage Hotel in Beverly Hills. There's an after party. They're going up to one of the Getty, the heir of the oil family. They always have after parties after these galas. So I literally see Elon Musk right there. He's waiting for his car. He's Elon Musk. So again, the 15-year-old kid of me is like, oh my God, it's Elon Musk. But the, 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 the more refined Christopher Kai literally walks up to him, no hesitation. Because again, these people aren't just going to hang out for you. Mm-hmm. Walk up to him, Elon, great job at the World Affairs Council because I saw him speak. So you built some kind of commonality. Yep. I'm not like, oh, Elon, you're amazing. Like, <laughs> heard this before. I'm not a groupie. He nods and said, oh, cool. I say, hey, Elon, I have this homeless youth program. I love to inspire your story with my kids. Give me your email. He gives me his email. I leave. Now, what most people don't do, they don't do all that stuff. First of all, they hesitate. They're wondering what to say. They don't compliment them. And so I have something called CAF, C-A-L-F. Mm-hmm. C means, stands for compliment. A stands for ask, meaning ask for the, their content information. They don't care about your business card. L means to leave. And F is the follow-up. Mm-hmm. Every one of those steps, most people don't do. Most people just stay there like, oh, my God, what do I say? He's already gone. When they approach, oh my God, Elon Musk, you don't care about you. Now you're considered a groupie. I compliment them. So who doesn't like a compliment genuinely? When you ask, you have to be direct. I literally, you know who Jamie Dimon is, Reed? I've heard of him, yes. He's the CEO of JP Morgan Chase. Yes. One of the top bankers in the world. He's a billionaire. I met him also in Davos, another place you go to, right? But this person, I'm not going to be too judgmental, but he just kept rambling on. When you meet someone that stature or, or success, they don't care about you or I, bluntly speaking, because mm-hmm. they don't know you. The most important thing is to get their content information. If they actually give you your business card, golden. Email, golden. Assistant, email, golden. The whole point is, don't do what 90% of the people do. Is like, oh my God, you're blah, 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 and here's my business card. They don't care about you. It's stop rambling on. So literally compliment, ask, leave, and, and follow up. And I say this only for the really high level success people. Sometimes you can have a conversation, but even that, frankly, they don't really know about you. And if you right. ideally are really smart, if you do have time, 
if you have five, 10 minutes, you Google them on the spot and you find out what charities they have. So let's say I know enough about these people. So if I, let's say Rihanna, I'd be like, Hey, Rihanna, I really admire your admiration for your grandmother. That's the first thing I say to Rihanna. She doesn't know me. And I already referenced her grandmother, which brings up her filial piety. I said, I want to see how I can support your charity. I'm not asking for a photograph. I'm not asking for anything. And that's why, again, so many people, they're so low level and tactless, especially at the high level they go. Even with me, by the way, I'm not a celebrity yet, but I get approached thousands of times. And people ask me, can you introduce me to Elon? I'm like, you're fucking stupid. Do it yourself. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just curse because it's, it's so frustrating. I want to help everyone. Right. That's why I wrote a book. That's why I have programs. And that's why, like, if people aren't, like, the last time I actually reached out to Elon was one of my colleagues was willing to donate $100,000 to a charity that I'm involved with, that Elon's involved with. And I said to Elon, 10-minute interview, on your time, in your place, any, any, that's the only way. And I wouldn't take any of the money, by the way. Mm. You know, but what I'm saying is I won't even bother approaching him at all because there's no point. Because Elon, like, doesn't care about money. So right. what I want to stress to your listeners and your viewers is that if you really want to go that high, you really have to do your research. You have to think long-term and you want to, you, I, could, I can send, I could send you email them at my book. You can include that in the, in, in the link. Yep. It's, it's really about being brutally honest with yourself. Don't be delusional thinking that you, they, they need you. Cause I hear this a lot because essentially if you're a billionaire, you need to have a billionaire offer for a billionaire. And if you right. don't, then they don't really care about you. That's why if you think long-term with galas, charities, nonprofits, then you have a higher probability because if, even if you don't meet Elon Musk, you'll meet the other multimillionaires, other people that are in the same room. And that's why I love meeting billionaires because they've done the work for you. They've vetted the room for you. There's only about 2,000 million billionaires in the world. If a billionaire is in the room, you already know that that's a very vetted, qualified room. And that's why it's so specific. And that's why people call me this Navy SEAL sniper with networking because I don't want to waste anyone's time. And with calf, what's the delivery? 15 seconds, 20 seconds? I don't know. I mean, that interaction with Elon was probably less than 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it'd have to be, right? It'd have to be straight to the point. It can't be, as you're saying, they don't care about you. fumbling around your words, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so, so it seems to me that the charity is the biggest piece because you get to strike the heart, right? It's, it's something that they care about. And that is, and then the compliment with the, with the charity piece. And then from there, what, what are you doing with the follow-up? Are you trying to cultivate something? Because obviously the ask is going to be later on. It's not, to, it's not right today. You're asking about the charity. It's good to get the conversation going but then for your business how do you then you know use those relationships to then benefit you in your business and how you grow well well here's the thing i want to be clear first of all yes the charity is a, a great way but i actually believe in my homeless youth program sure. and I'm, it's all about you have to find things that you love mm -hmm. and i don't think about using it's about building a community because like, i'm thinking long term and some of them I, I i'm not doing business with them i'm not doing business with elon musk but it's right. about building my cachet, my understanding of people getting inspired, building this network. And then the people with business, I've introduced my clients to billionaires. You know, so Gosh, it's not yeah. necessarily, and I've secured clients as billionaires too. So some of it's also branding, cachet, networking, and learning. But in terms of like actual billionaires, I mean, I have clients, but even the clients that are billionaires, they're often the nonprofit because I'm not at their level yet. Because for me, again, my model is like, look, I speak for a living. I fill out a 20 grand for at least one keynote speech. I have online programs, so people that are interested, it's like I help them that. And with online, it's like this is multiple scalability. But in terms of like your audience and, and real estate and whatnot, the, the most basic thing is a lot of times I just find that they're not really educated with people. Like if I say, hey, do you know what a family office is, Reed? Yes, I do. Yeah, so you know, but a lot of people don't. 
Right. So I'll just start peppering some of these basic questions. And if they don't even know that, I just pretty much ignore them because they don't even know basic things. I mean, that's like one of the most basic things of really high net worth people. But, but going back to your question, it really depends for me, but it really comes down to listening more, setting up a quick 10-minute call, doing research on their website, figuring out what they want, but thinking, keep keeping it very, 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 very basic and doing a ton of research on the front end to figure out more about how you can help them. And, and don't be a generic, how can I help you? It's more about, I was very specific with, let's say, um, Rihanna. Mm-hmm. All these people, especially celebrities, they're so ADHD. Well, I'm thinking more <laughs> about their personal life and what I can help with the nonprofits. And then maybe three, six, nine months down the way, maybe I'll consider pitching them. So like a specific example, that guy that I met that was a $100 million guy, I said, Doug, I admire success. I'd love to take you out for lunch. Now, in his case, he's not a billionaire. And I have actually categories. I actually categorize big gamers. You have rhinoceroses, cape buffaloes, elephants, lions, and lepers. I literally categorize. And this might sound mm-hmm. really bad because I'm bidding animals to humans. But these type of categories are actually really, really good. So he's considered a Cape Buffalo where they're successful, influential, a big gamer, but they're not a billionaire, which is a lion because they're the lion, they're literally manning the, the whole world. But so for him, he was actually open to meeting up. 